Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For God will speak peace to the people, to the faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely God's salvation is at hand for those who fear that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in the dentist's office with all of those instruments sitting in my mouth. And you know how it happens. That's when the hygienist says, so where exactly is your church? Now, in fairness, she lives in the Northland like I do, some 30 minutes from here. So I get asked that question quite a bit people that don't drive up and down Ward Parkway. Where where exactly is your church? So she went on to tell me that her son now lives here in the Brookside area and was looking for a young adult ministry, something like the one that we have called Roots. So it was a good question. And so I gave her, in between all of those rinses and stuff, my elevator answer. I said, well, it's south of the plaza on Ward Parkway there on the east side, Gothic architecture. You can't miss it. It's beautiful. When I'm on the golf course, there's more time. The elevator speech gets expanded. And I I say the little part about Ward Parkway, and it's beautiful, you can't miss it. But then I add how driving by you could miss that we're also committed to justice, to beauty and justice. And if time permits, I even say, I kind of think of that as the very nature of God, beauty and justice. Now, I have never, in the dentist's office, or on the golf course, or anywhere for that matter, resorted to waxing so eloquent as to say how the two kiss. But the psalmist does. You heard it. The psalmist says that these two will, will kiss. It's considered the kind of the second stanza of this psalm. And the poet starts at the beginning of the psalm by saying it's addressed to the leader. And some people think that may have been the choir director. That what we have here are lyrics of a song about this beautiful kiss. The poet uses all kinds of words, in this case righteousness and peace, but all kinds of other words like salvation and glory and And they're not exactly the kinds of words that you hear people use in line at Trader Joe's. They sound like antiques. They sound like King James, except for kissing. Kissing, we know. Lovers kiss. And grandparents plant kisses on foreheads. And and romantic comedies end with kissing. In this case, the two lovers that kiss at least in this translation, are righteousness and peace. I don't know what those words conjure up for you. I fear that the word righteousness might kind of remind us of people we know who are holier than others and self-righteous. Or peace as maybe a throwback to the 60s and Vietnam protests or Afghanistan protests. But in both cases, we'd be way off. That first word, translated righteousness, is probably better translated justice. And it's about the justice of God. 
And that second word may be the one Hebrew word a lot of people know, shalom. But peace doesn't really do it justice. Shalom, it refers to wholeness and can even include beauty. The lyrics are about justice and beauty kissing. And these lyrics seem to me so fitting on a day when we mark the centennial of this church and celebrate the beautiful windows, starting with St. Cecilia. A hundred years ago, when this church was getting started, and a few years after that, when this place was being built, they chose to have it be a place of beauty. Here at Ward Parkway and 61st, stone and glass would kiss. And St. Cecilia was a commitment also to justice. She's not just the patron saint of musicians, she's a Roman Catholic saint. And a Protestant church chose as their first window a Catholic saint and a female Catholic saint. That was a commitment not just to beauty, but to justice. And every week she plays for us. And because she's on that back wall, She faces out onto Ward Parkway as well, and everyone who drives up and down and everyone who gathers in here hears her song of beauty and justice. Last Monday night, and again tomorrow night, Bill Stansel, retired professor from Rockhurst University, has been teaching a class on the Protestant Reformation. If you couldn't join us, you can go back and listen, and you can join us tomorrow night. We record them. They're there. There's so much to learn. And, of course, one of the obvious strains of the Reformation was justice. Martin Luther, that monk, wanted to reform his beloved Catholic Church because corruption had crept in. They were actually selling forgiveness of sin for a price. And most of us maybe know a little bit of that story. What maybe you don't know is that the Reformation also had a theme of beauty. There were some reformers who radically rejected the notion of beauty. They, in essence, said, and this still happens today, well, if Catholic churches are going to be beautiful, ours won't be. And they they actually went to the opposite extreme. What a shame. When I was in seminary, I'm pretty sure the hardest class I had was a philosophy of religion class. It was taught by a man named Yandel Woodfin. That's a great name for a philosopher, right? Yandel. He had written the textbook, was called With All Your Mind, which was a very fitting title. Most of us read every week and scratched our head. When we studied for the quizzes together, I remember someone saying, look at this, look at this. This one sentence has 104 words in it but we paid attention, best we could. The one section that I remember all these years later was on aesthetics, the study of beauty. Woodfin said, if you look at the marble staircase in the student center and you wonder, well, could could those funds have been used to feed the poor? He said, you've confused two categories. He said, Aesthetics does not ask ethical questions. Well, I I wrote it down in my notes and on the quiz, but all these years later, I wonder, 
Do beauty and justice have to be at odds, or can they kiss? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a lecture online by Elaine Scarry, who is professor of aesthetics at Harvard University, only she was in another Cambridge at the time. She was in England at the university there, and she was giving a lecture on beauty and justice. And she said, they are not opposed. In fact, she said that in English, we have a word that shows just how connected they are. Fair. Isn't that interesting? Monet's water lilies can be described as fair. And the St. Cecilia window and all of these others can be described as fair. But black lives matter and caring for the poor are about being fair. Beauty and justice, fairness, is the mission of the church and the very nature of God. And so for a hundred years, this church has been committed to both. And over those years, some of you know that Fred Craddock, the great disciples preacher, came and preached in this very spot. I heard some of those. I don't know that he ever told this story here with these windows around but he could have. It's about when he went back to a church where he'd grown up in West Tennessee, except now they had these beautiful leaded glass windows, and Fred was walking along and looking at them and noticing the little plaques with the names of the donors, but he didn't recognize a single name. And, and so the pastor who was hosting him said, oh, w there was a church in St. Louis that ordered these from Italy, but they didn't fit. So he got them for practically nothing. And then Fred said, well, yeah, but what about the plaques? And the pastor said, oh, yeah, the board, we, we discussed that. You know what we decided? It would do us good to remember there are others besides us. Justice is always about more than just us. Last week, I finished reading the prequel to Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth, my favorite novel of all time. Many of you may know that after Pillars, Follett wrote two volumes as a kind of sequel, a trilogy, and now he's written the prequel, but Pillars of the Earth is still the best novel, in my opinion. At a thousand pages, I've still read it three times and probably will again someday. It's an amazing story. It's the story of Tom the Builder, a 12th century stonemason, who longs to build a great Gothic cathedral. He's worked on walls and repairs here and there, maybe smaller churches. He did work on one cathedral, but it's not what he longs for. He wants to build something grand and gorgeous. And I have this feeling that Tom the Builder is in some ways autobiographical because Follett, who had always written spy novels, he became very much an admirer of Gothic architecture. Well, there comes this moment when Tom the Builder gets his chance. He's interviewed by the abbot, a man named Philip, who says, so why do you want to build it? And his mind is racing. It's like, I got to say the right thing here, the thing that'll get me the job. And, and so he doesn't know, what does the man want? What does he want him to say? Well, because I'm a skilled worker and it gives satisfaction or 
this brings meaning to a life, or I'll do it well, and others might not. He doesn't know what to say. Finally, he just blurts out recklessly the truth. He says, because it will be beautiful. And the abbot is moved by the answer. It's the right answer. Because it will be beautiful. But there's another theme running through the novel. I used to tell people that that novel was about the big three, religion, sex, and politics. It's really about the big two, beauty and justice. Tom the Builder is going to build a beautiful church, but the justice theme that runs through it, there is corruption within the church and within the monarchy, and I don't want to give it away except to say justice sort of prevails. Now, when I say sort of, here's what I mean. The king is held accountable. And the last line of after a thousand pages, Follett writes, after this, the world will never be quite the same. Wait, what? What, what do you mean, quite the same? It's because justice is an ongoing work. The way Elaine Scarry puts it in that lecture is, she says, there's two kinds of beauty in the world. There's natural and artifactual. Natural beauty is, you know, the sunset and the, or the brilliant leaves bursting with color. But the artifactual is that which people have made. Think Michelangelo's David. Think St. Cecilia's window. Someone made those. And then she adds, but justice is always artifactual. And so for a hundred years, people have gathered in this place, ensconced in beauty and going forth to work for justice. And every week, St. Cecilia plays us out. I think of her as playing the postlude. And worshipers in this place, when we meet in this place, they turn to go, and there she is. And, and maybe they look up and see her, or maybe they don't, but she always sees us, and she looks at us, and she looks at the world out the other side. And that, that tune may always be different every week, but the lyrics are always, beauty and justice will kiss. And in the eyes of God... It is fair.